Let me ask you a question. Uh, what's, the, what's the best movie you've seen lately? Anyone seen a movie? Was it Jan Finding Dory? Yeah, isn't that at the... That's like the fish shop next door. Isn't that where you find Dory? Okay. Terminator. Awesome. What else? Baby Driver. Baby Driver. What was so good about Baby Driver? It's a shocker. <laughs> Great music. Good script. What else? Abdul and Victoria. Abdul and Victoria. What do you think the point is of me getting you to tell us all about a movie that you've just seen recently that you enjoyed? Fill in time. <laughs> Thanks, mate. It's been a tough week. Sermon preparation was cut to a minimum. It's, oh, it's good. We're workshopping together, people. Let's just figure this out. Yeah, thanks. Who brought him? <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, because actually I really struggle to fill in the time. Um, uh, we don't all laugh then. Um, uh, we're all evangelists. Everybody is an evangelist, by which I mean we all just naturally tell people about stuff that is meaningful to us. We just do it all the time, don't we? You've seen it, when you've seen a great movie, it just feels good to tell someone else about it, doesn't it? In fact, what's, what's really neat about it is, uh, and I don't know if you, you guys, I was looking at, at people when they told these stories. When you tell someone you care about, about an experience you've just had that was great, it actually, you re-enjoy the experience, don't you? Your face lights up as you talk about the movie that you just saw. Because it's great, isn't it? So, uh, you know what? That's the same in every bit of our lives. Uh, I, whether it's someone we've met, a new job we've got, uh, if your footy team wins or, you know, if you get a promotion, if you see a great bit of art, if you've had a great holiday. When you tell others about stuff that matters to you, it helps you enjoy what you've just done and it brings a great blessing to the people you're talking to, right? Make sense? In every area of life except one. What is the one area where this does not work? Christianity. In the area of religion, we are not allowed to tell anyone what has been a blessing to us, what has filled us with joy. We can't speak about that, can we? Well, it's hard, isn't it? Now, I'm, uh, of course, recognize that comment for what it is. I'm trying to provoke you to say, no, actually, it's the same as in every area of life, but, but there is, we, we have this sort of... Uh, Social contract with our culture that says what? You know what? In any other area of life, you are absolutely free to tell others what's meaningful for you. You know, you've gone and had your chakras realigned at the local, you know, naturopath or whatever it is, and, and, and that's been great. Or you've got a job and that's fantastic. Or you had a lovely Thai meal and that's brilliant. You can tell people about that, but the one thing you can't tell them about, the one thing is Orthodox Christianity. You, it's fine, you believe what you believe, but just don't foist it on the rest of us. Isn't that right? Because religion, after all, is a private matter. It's fine for you. 
is that right? No, I, I mean, it's, it's sort of not, but it sort of is because we all know, don't we, that there are certain people whose ways of talking about their faith and about Christianity is just really off-putting and judgmental, don't we? People who think, you know what, I'm going to talk to you about God, so the first thing I've got to do is tell you the 25 ways in which you are wrong and under the judgment of God, and you're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, we, we all have that, if not our own personal experience, we, we have that as a sort of collective memory, and we don't want to be that person, do we? I mean, I don't, because actually I want everyone to like me. <laughs> That's a recipe for not being liked. So I think sometimes actually we, we back away so far from that that we actually collude with our culture in silencing ourselves, which I think is a little sad. And I think we need to do a little better at that. I think God wants us to. God wants me to. And what we're talking about today uh, and next week is how we as a church might do that. And these three stories that Jesus told give us a great way into thinking about how this might happen. Anyone who's familiar with um, Sydney uh, ecclesiastical architecture uh, recognize where these stained glass windows are found. Someone at the nine o'clock service got it. No. St. Andrew's Cathedral. Yeah, yeah, they're in the cathedral. So thanks to Byron, who was in there, uh, he took some photos, said, look at these. So here, this is, this, by the way, this is like Instagram or YouTube videos for a pre-literate, pre-technological generation. You see the story of uh, the, the shepherd going out to find the lost sheep. And you see the woman sweeping up the house looking for her lost coin. And then there's the story of the, uh, the son who goes walk about and the brother who sticks around and is grumpy and the father who loves them both. Uh, and what do these stories tell us? You know, the stories tell us that God really, really, really loves people who aren't in his family yet. Is that what it say? I was listening. I, I, I want to I show of hands now just to test what you think on this. I, I was listening to a guy speak on this uh, online, and he made this, this, the, the following statement. He says, God loves the unchurched more than he loves the churched. Okay, so unchurched and church are just sort of, they're clunky terms, but they, they basically, churched refers to those of us who are in without being disparaging and making comments about people's eternal destinies, the saved or the unsaved, or, you know, we don't want to do that. But the churched and the unchurched folk who maybe, you know, by virtue of their behavior, we don't think are really deeply connected into the people of God yet. Okay, so statement, God loves the, church, the unchurched more than he loves the church. How many of you agree with that? Let's see at hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, the buses will wait. The buses will wait. Okay, how many of you disagree with that? Ah, okay. Uh, How many of you think both are true? Ah, There we go. You can't have that, Jan? Why can't you? They can't both be true. Yes. 
Or you could say, as someone at nine said, well, Mark, if God is infinite love, you can't, it's a, it's a category error to talk about differences in uh, amounts of infinity. And I'm like, yes, that is right. You're exactly right. Let's construct this sermon together. Um, no, so um, we, uh, Margo and I only had two kids, which we thought was quite smart because you can play one-on-one defense. You know, once you go to more than two, you've got to go into a zone defense. But I did spend years uh, doing youth ministry, and, and I've noticed this with, and I want you to imagine someone with a big family, like six kids, right? So you've got six kids, you've saved up all your money, and you've gone to Disneyland on holidays. Okay, you're in LA, you're in Disneyland, you've got your six kids, you spend the day at Disneyland, and the kids are, you know, maybe ranging in age from 14 to about five, and, uh, and you get back into your, you get back onto the, um, the bus to go back to your hotel in Anaheim, and you're there, and you do a quick head count, you have one, two, three, four, five, ah, oh, that's good enough, <laughs> five's pretty good, five out of six, man, we love the five, let's go. What would you do? Well, you'd leave the five and you'd go find the sixth, wouldn't you? Do you love the sixth more than you love the five? Well, actually, in that moment, who's getting the vast majority of your attention? <laughs> it's the lost one. You love them for sure the same. And, and if, but, but this was the point that Uh, Jesus is making to his listeners, the Pharisees, the religious in-group. They were the the five who were on the bus with God. And they're like, you beauty, we're on the bus. Yay, God loves us. And they had forgotten that God's heart, right from the start, when God called uh, his people together in Abraham in Genesis 12, right at the very beginning of the Bible, God said to Abraham, you come and I'm going to bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing to the whole world. God's heart has always been, yep, for the one, for those who are already on the bus, but God has an incredible heart for everyone in the world. Massive heart for everyone. And what Israel had got wrong was drawing the boundaries of who God cares for around ethnic and national and political criteria. Well, God loves us because we're Israel, because we're Jewish. And the pagan nations can go to hell. Literally. I think this is one of the hardest lessons for us to learn as God's people. So go, yeah, God loves us, and that's wonderful. But we must never, ever limit the love of God to the boundaries of an ethnicity or a nationality, a culture, or an ecclesiastical group. God is at work in the world, and he has a heart for the lost. At extraordinary cost for himself, we see how much God cares for these lost sheep and coins and uh, brothers because it costs, right? The shepherd leaves the 99, goes back out, finds this louse-infected, disobedient, stupid sheep, picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. And then has a great big party. I ate a bit of souflaki. I wonder which lamb went on the barbecue that night, right? 
Um, yeah, so uh, that's not in the text, by the way, just you know, for the vegans amongst us. Uh, we're not sure what happened to the sheep. Um, uh, the lost coin, the woman beside herself, sweeping out her whole house, looking for the coin. Last Sunday, there was someone who lost their wallet in church, and I thought, if only I could have videotaped this and replayed it this Sunday, because it was just a classic example. Uh, you know, long after everyone had left, he was still here doing what we all do when we've lost something, which is, you know, you look, at the, you look under the chair where you were sitting, and then you go around, you look anywhere else, and you come back five minutes later, and you check under the chair again. <laughs> oh, and the five minutes that I've been gone, has it magically appeared again in an empty room? And really very distraught about losing his wallet. So if any of you stole a wallet last week, uh, no, um, God loves the lost. He loves those who are not here yet, every bit as much and perhaps in a way that we don't understand, perhaps with an intensity and a fervor that goes you know, beyond the intensity and fervor that he has for us though. You know, let's not draw too long a bow there. And th- this, this shows that. So what are we wanting to do as a church, right? We've been thinking, we've, we've been on a journey the last three years. And uh, it does seem to me, and I may be wrong, I have been wrong before, um, but it does seem to me, as somebody, I've, you know, having led churches through this similar type journey, it does seem to me that we're coming out of the, the, the turbulence of the transitions that we've been on. And so as a church, we've been thinking a lot about, as a leadership, where do we go? Uh, what, do we, what do we do? And this is, our, um, this is how we think church works. Uh, to capture this heart of Jesus and of the Father in Luke 15. This is our, you know, if, you, if you're in the development sector, you'd call this our theory of change, but I thought I'd call it a theory of ministry because it sounds a little more pious. Um, uh, our theory of change. What does God want the church to do uh, in, this, in this city? So the first thing God wants, uh, he wants to form healthy disciples, doesn't he? That is... Uh, women and men and girls and boys who really, really love Jesus and are becoming like Christ. That, that over the course of our lives, you and I should become more and more and more able to love like Jesus and live like Jesus, lead others to Jesus, serve like Jesus. We should have his same humility, his same spiritual power, his same priorities. And that emerges in our lives over a lifetime of, of obedience in the same direction. So that's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to form healthy disciples, right? Apprentices of Jesus. But healthy disciples don't exist by themselves. Healthy disciples require and then build a healthy church, right? So healthy disciples form healthy churches. Uh, As Augustine famously said, he who doesn't have the church as their mother can't have God as their father. That we are made for community. That we can't do the spiritual life alone. Uh, that the whole way in which God has designed us is for others. And if we're going to grow to become more spiritually alive and like Jesus, we've got to do it together and we've got to do it in a healthy church. Uh, now, we don't have to work out what that looks like. We know the Bible's really clear on what a healthy church looks like. And we also use a tool called Natural Church Development that has eight quality characteristics that we've tested, that have been tested over the last 30 years, 80,000 churches. And so every year we do a survey 
we, we get a bit of feedback from that. We look in the mirror and say, how are we doing with health? Right? And then, what's, so, so a bunch of churches get this, right? This is nothing new. Well, we're healthy disciples. Yes, we're growing healthy churches. But I think there's a third piece in this uh, theory of change. And I think that's this. Healthy churches, healthy disciples, make healthy cities or communities or neighborhoods. I think that's when we take Luke 15 seriously, that's what happens. That we take the love of God for those who are not yet in the club, as it were, and we say this, this matters in how we serve people. So what might that look like? Well, in the city of Sydney, if the body of Jesus does its work well, what should we expect to see? Well, we should expect to see a decrease in domestic violence. We should expect to see children honoring their parents. We should expect to see healed relationships between estranged adults. We should expect to see a decrease in violence and in vice and in crime, in addiction, We should expect to see an increase and flourishing in the arts, in music and creativity. We should expect to see science flourishing. Healthy cities mean that we we function to to create an environment where, where people can work together to push the boundaries of knowledge in all the various areas of science. We should expect to see economic justice where people can have access to means of production, to capital, to take their ideas and put them into practice and do that in a just way. We should expect to see a city, if the body of Christ does its work well, a city where no one, uh, no one is marginalized and alone and, and dis, you know, kind of discarded. It's not valuable. I mean, one of the tragedies of our day and age well, is that we, you know... We worship homo economicus. We're economic beings, and if you don't have any economic utility, if you don't have money and power, then you're largely invisible and useless. And you know what? In our, if we follow God, and if we follow the Jesus of Luke 15, and we go after the lost, this, that what, what that's going to mean is you know, the elderly and the handicapped and the marginalized and the broken And the ones who are pushed to the sides and ignored won't be. They'll be drawn in and included. Webs of love and community. That's what what should happen, right? Right? We don't exist to be in a little holy huddle. We actually exist to go and make this world a place where the kingdom of God is expressed. You see, right at the heart of all of this, is the kingdom of God, the rule of King Jesus coming into this world to transform and to change. That God's will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Right? Now, of course, we know that when that happens, four more healthy disciples. So this is our vision, right? We've thought a lot about this. How do we do this? You know, I've been here two and a bit years, going on two and a half years, and trying to clarify and focus. What are we going to work on? And so here's what here's our our working hypothesis, our working vision for next year, and maybe we'll roll it on for the years to come as well. Say, and if we want to be a a church to which the unchurched love coming, (sighs) and and by church, no, um, I don't mean a, you know, we're a church. 
Because, I mean, the, the thing we have to offer is connection to God, is life. And we want to be a place that's, that's just open. And that the life of Jesus is so richly lived out amongst each other that we are like a light on a hilltop that people are drawn to. And I don't just mean Sunday services, but into our homes, into our small groups, into our network of friends. They love being part of this. They go, wow, there's something here. And I, I mean, if you want a glimpse of this, right, last Friday, that was, for me, that was a glimpse you know, what you love to be part of this, there's something here. And we're going to think a bit more about this, but then next week we'll talk about it. We also want to be a church in which the church, and uh, let's just make a little correction here, uh, in which the church loves serving, where you and I love, and, by, and serving next week we'll talk about serving as a wordplay on worship there, serve and worship. So we want to be a place where the church, unchurched love to come. But I want to go right back to how we started and we think about this. Telling others about Jesus is really hard, right? And so one of the things it seems to me about our church, and actually I think this is true of a lot of churches, is the unchurched folk don't love coming here because no one's invited them. <laughs> and they don't even know that we're here. We're just a sad little irrelevance. I mean, we have a. So I often think we're the best kept secret for mental health, for spiritual health, for relationship, for community in the city, and no one knows. So we've got to tell people, we've got to invite them. That's, most all the research shows people come to church on the arm of a friend. That's it. They come to know Jesus on the arm of a friend. I, that's how I came to know Jesus, just invited by a friend to go to youth group. That's it. That's the journey. And so if you're here on the arm of a friend, you're just normal. This is how, how we grow. But that's hard. So what I wanted to do, and I know it's hard, in talking to people about Jesus, having this outward focus can make us all feel it, guilty and bad. Because you may be sitting there thinking, oh, geez, I'm, I'm a failure, aren't I? I mean, I haven't, when I haven't invited anyone to church, and Mark's just banging us over the head with a stick here, or oh, he doesn't understand what it's like. So I thought I'd ask Byron to come up. I wanted to have a conversation. Can you pass the mic? Just to talk to him, because he and I have chatted a bit about what it's like in the world to just be a normal person. To the, and that's possibly not an adjective <laughs> that has ever been used to describe Byron. <laughs> it's a bit daunting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, to talk a bit about what it's like in the work to, in your world, to talk to people about Jesus and Vineyard Church. So, Byron, thank you for doing this. What, just give us a brief thumbnail sketch of what do you do Monday to Friday? What's your work context? What's life like for you? Uh, okay, so uh, I have a, a business in logistics and industrial property. So, we fix uh, the logistics functions of big corporates. So, people like Coles or Woolies, you know, they move a lot of stuff around. We tell them how to move it around better. And then we build them sheds, and uh, our yeah. sheds are big. They're you know they're a kilometre long or half a kilometre long. It's a long way to walk if you forgot your pencil. You know you got to go back. So, <laughs> so uh, you've got to be thoughtful in our work. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. So we're you know, based in different countries in Asia and in Australia, and it's about forty-five of us. That's that's it. That's awesome. So, um, uh, have you? Do you find it really easy to talk to people about Jesus in your day-to-day -day life? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, I talk to people most days. Um, 
at, at least once a week. Um, but I, I don't I don't find it difficult. Okay. No. Why not? Uh, <laughs> what do you do? What's your secret? <laughs> I just talk to them. I mean, I tried osmosis for years, like the whole idea of standing next to someone and being good, and then them and then them becoming a Christian. It doesn't work. Like you really? have to actually say something. <laughs> so, I know that that might sound a bit flippant, but uh, if you don't say something, like they just they just won't know. It's just a secret. Um, but it isn't that hard. You, uh, you just just tell them what you know. Uh, everyone's got one good sermon, I've heard said. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think uh, you just tell them, tell them what you know and little things. Um, but this week I had lots of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. tell I, us I mean, about uh, So a guy resigned, so it was an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. How um, did you do that? Well, he came and said he wanted to leave. So I, I said to him, hey, you know, um, just describe our business. Can you tell me what, it, what it's like? And he said, it's really caring, uh, and it's, it's actually uh, very forgiving, it's understanding, uh, it's very, a very patient place. And I said, okay, well, let's see where that's come from. So, so 1 Corinthians 13, we'll, we'll pull it out, love is. And I said, oh, I've never said this to you, but I love you. And it's a strange thing to say to a bloke, you know, at work, but I do. And that's why, you know, in our workplace we, we have these things. It's actually come from this. And he said, yeah, I know you've told me about it before. Yeah, I know, but I, I, just, I just need a different job. I need a change. And I said, that's okay, but that's what you're changing. You're changing that because you're not going to get that somewhere else. And that's really, really valuable. So I was able to talk to him. So, yeah. But that's just an example. I mean, there were five or six this week. There's, there's plenty of people who want to know about Jesus. You'd be, you'd be surprised when you ask. So uh, do you do this because you have all the answers? Are you like a great theological genius who knows the bible backwards and has all the answers so if anyone ever asks you a question you can just man nail it like (laughs) i mean i've done no study in the bible and i'm not a big reader of the bible i i I, I read a verse a day you know if that you prefer the fin review i understand yeah yeah i mean i spoke in china i was asked to speak at an underground church in china it's quite funny and I, i i spoke and in it i said i just love reading the financial review i get up in the morning and i read it and then this lady put a hand up and she said uh, oh mr patching she said uh, if I, if i become a christian does that mean i need to read the financial review <laughs> i said no no read the woman's weekly and she oh, okay, she's writing that down <laughs> oh, i'm going to go to hell for that one <laughs> but uh, uh, no i i mean it's i'm i'm by no means perfect i mean i i tell lies i i cheat i i do bad things uh, and that's the other thing I learned. Don't wait till you're better, because you'll never get there. So yeah, God's made you the way you are. You're there for a reason. Just spit it out and let them deal with it. The main thing is prayer. Like That's the thing. That's been the big shift yeah. for me. So about 10 years ago, I decided to meet a couple of other business owners and, and pray with them. Uh, and uh, we, didn't, we only prayed about work. We, we, didn't, we don't pray for world peace or anything like that. We just focus on work because we spend so much time at work so how do we use our work platform you know to bring people to christ so we started praying yeah about 10 years ago we still uh, uh meet there's about six or eight of us now uh, different business owners and and we do that that's a real big enabler so what happens as a result of that is the spirit works in my heart and it also works in people i i, I don't know yet or haven't met or whatever so when i speak to them then that, that's already happened. 
you know, you've already got this, this juice flowing. And then when you speak to them, you know, typically they're interested. Sometimes they say go away, but yeah. I mean, it, you can't break it, can you? I mean, if they're going to hell, <laughs> what worse can you do? You might as well just say something and maybe it'll make them, you know, it'll put them in a better place. Yeah. yeah. And in that context, to help you, what's the, what's the benefit of a church, like a local church? Is that important in this journey for you, having a... It's essential. So, I mean, for me, what's the point? If you talk to someone, they say, okay, I'm interested. Well, then what's, you know, the next thing is, well, come to church, like, or, or sit down and read with me or something, you know, read my one verse a day. I think, I think it's better to, you know, you've you got to be able to bring them, you know, to, to meet other people. You know, bearing in mind, most people I speak to either work for me or a client or that we've got some kind of parent-child relationship. So it's not a... It's, it's, it's good to be able to bring them along. And that's... So coming here, we, we came here about 18 months ago or so. It's been an enabler. So since coming here, I so, thought, OK, this is a place I could bring people. So now I tell more people about Jesus because I've got someone, somewhere to bring them. So that's, you know, we're fortunate here and we shouldn't squander that. You know, like we've got the opportunity, we've got the platform. Just just uh, speak out. Yeah. If you're praying, it, work, it does work. I've had people come to Christ. One thing I haven't mentioned to you is uh, this week, after I spoke to this guy who resigned, I've been praying before for over 10 years. Uh, and it's a different story. But, and, he, and he said to me, you know, I would call myself a Christian now but please don't tell anyone. And I thought, there's such a shift. Uh, when he had his first children, I remember he came to me and he said, they're asking me whether or not there's a God. You know, what's the answer? And I said, just, just hold that thought. And Corinne went and bought him some Christian books. This is 10 years ago uh, from a Christian shop called Kurong. And I gave them to him. And I said, be a man, lead your home, and read to your children this and he said, well, I don't know what's in it. I said, well, you'll know by the time you get to the end of it. So <laughs> read it and then take it from there. And then, and then he came back and he said, I read those books. They were good. Uh, but I, I need to know more my, myself. I've got some questions. And I said, so what you need to do is go buy a Bible and you need to read it. And he did. And he bought a Bible and he read it from the start to the end. It just, just like that. He's an engineer. That's what they do. So he, he, read it, he, he, he read it through, and then he came back and said, oh, this is now, nine months later, I've got more questions, and, and you know, I would like to ask you some questions. I said, no, we're in business together. I'm not here to, to preach to you. Um, I'll find someone you can talk to. So I just rang, cold call, a local church near him, a little Anglican and I went there later, it was so tiny, and it was, he, the guy was preaching, was so boring. But the guy, <laughs> but he, I, I rang that guy, just called, and said, there's this bloke who wants to know more, would you mind hanging out with him? And he did. Uh-huh. And then he started teaching Sunday school, and, and then he came out with that this week. And it's after 10 years of praying for this bloke, you know, so... But there's lots of stories like that, you know, just, just speak out and, 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 and the, the thing I've learned is don't try to have the right answer, just babble it out, muck it up. If you're not sure, say it anyway. Uh, you can't break it, uh, you, you just, just get it out there and you'll be surprised at uh, what the Holy Spirit can do if, you'll, if you just let it go. Yeah, that's... that's awesome. Thanks, Byron. That yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, good on you. Wow. So... Um... You know, you can uh, grab.
grab Byron over morning tea and uh, hear lots more stories like that. Uh, and you can pray. I'm not done yet, Annie. <laughs> Just giving that to you for... <laughs> what do you got to do? No, there's more. That's the introduction. Um, <laughs> so I... Look, as Byron said, it's, it's 10 years often, right? But we have a role here together to be a place where people can come and find Jesus. And one of the reasons that's so important for all of us to come here is when, when we bring a friend or we bring a colleague, we want them to be able to f- connect with a bunch of people and hopefully find someone where there's, they establish a deep connection. Because uh, it takes a community. It takes all of us working together. So here's what we're thinking about um, some ideas for next year. And uh, some of these might require some major changes, right? Uh, so to make Sundays work as a place where we just love, where, where, where folk love coming, uh, engaging relevant preaching. Um, yeah, we might need a new preacher for that, but you know. The goal is that, we, that, that every Sunday, people are hearing from God's word in a way that just deeply resonates with them. Yeah! And that we're all sitting here going, I wish my X, Y, or Z were here to hear this, right? That's what we're after. Uh, Excellent music. So like this morning, oh my goodness, you know, when music is as good as as it was today, there's no distraction. It's so good that it just, you don't even notice. No one, you know, it's just like, wow, you can, so thanks, guys. Thanks, Pen. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Tim. How awesome was that? And to do that every week. So we know on any given Sunday when you, when you bring a friend that the, the preaching is going to be awesome and the music's going to be amazing. And then joyful, authentic worship. So um, I think, we're, you see, we're not a club, right? I know the league's club. We could. We could draw a big crowd by replicating the leagues club here, couldn't we? I mean, there's a bit of a, a gap in the market for cheap meals, cheap booze, and pokies. So we could fill this place, you know, we could have a bar up here, be all funky and trendy and pokies and booze and have a big crowd. Um, but that's not, our, that's not what we are. We're a church. And at the center of the church is Jesus and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father. And so I... I know that when folk who are exploring spiritual things come in, they want to see that this actually is deeply meaningful to the rest of us. So we've got we to gotta worship in a way that, that expresses that. right? We've got to figure out what that looks like. Now, I know that in Australia that's hard to do. We don't, we're not a singing culture. We're very reserved. You, know? you go to a rugby match in the UK and they'll sing. And they'll sing in harmonies. And it'll be amazing. And what's the best that Australian sports fans can come up with? Aussie, 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 or that's the total of our national collective musicality, right? So I understand it's hard for us. I understand that. And it doesn't mean we've all got to sing, you know, we're not a, a, a Welsh male voice choir, you know, I know that. But somehow what we've got to do is unleash in us joyful, authentic worship that you walk into this place and you go, wow, God is here. And it's good, yeah? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We want to set up a Peninsular Anti-Slavery Coalition. Why that? I think people need to know that that we as the church worship a God of justice who from, from the time of the Exodus has been a God who sets, sets the slaves free. 
And so we want to be a church that, that has justice at the very heart of who we are and that, that the rest of our society sees that. Uh, pragmatically, you might say to me, why this? rather than, for example, uh, addressing some of the challenges in refugee policy or indigenous Australia or, or any number of other things. Two very simple reasons. Uh, one is, um, this is an issue over which there's such moral clarity that it's absolutely easy to get buy-in from everyone, irrespective of their political or economic persuasions. Like you, as soon as, and I just, I mean, we should be addressing refugee policy, asylum seekers, we should be concerned about what's going on on Manus Island, we should be concerned about indigenous Australia, for sure. All these things matter enormously. But I know as soon as you start talking about it, you, pol you start polarizing people and getting into debates about how you solve it. The issue of modern day slavery is so morally clear and such a pressing need, I reckon there's an opportunity for us. That's the first The second reason, in terms of brand association, when people think of our church, I want them to think of these are the people who are, who are bringing an end to slavery in the world. And that's what fires them up. And they're wanting to work with us to do that. Rather than these are the people who are, you know, either for or against same-sex marriage or for or against climate change or for or against other stuff over which, which divides and polarizes, I think this is an issue we can say, this is what we really care about. We care about a bunch of other stuff, but let's work together on that. Uh, culturally accessible is just an idea we've got. Um, actually set up a coffee cart out the front of church, so we all go and get our coffees on the way into church. What if we had a cart out the front, so when you came into church, there was just a group of people gathering out there on the, you know, kind of, everyone can see it, and you just come, you get your coffee, then you move inside. Just a thought. We all feel better when we've got a cup of coffee in our hand. Somehow, and everyone's easier to love when you've got a cup of coffee inside you. <laughs> Sermons are easier to listen to. Mark's a more entertaining speaker when you're wired on caffeine. Um, okay, and then uh, we want functional space. We're thinking, we're going to think, we've got plans the church has been working on for two years about refurbishing this, all sorts of grand plans, lighting and aircon and covering and all the rest of it. But we're going to have to stage that because we're only still small and we're still just growing. But one of the things we'd like to have a conversation about is whether we can get lightweight chairs so we can make this place way more uh, multifunctional going forward. We've got an amazing resource. We've got an incredible God. We've got a great community. And uh, so let's lean into this. The kids are going to come in and we're going to have communion together now as a segue from this. So as a community, God is here with us. Let's pray and uh, then we'll gather together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you cared deeply, that you love us, you love the lost, you love everybody here. And I pray now that your spirit will work to make us a church where unchurched people, people on a spiritual journey, just love coming because you are here and we're so generous and transparent in our love for you and our love for them. Amen.